Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Ross Kemp, and this is The Kemp Cast. In this podcast, I'm joined by guests from all walks of life who all have engaging stories to tell, whether it's about their life, their career, or their expertise. I hope that if you listen to this series, not only will you learn something about the guests, but also about the world we live in. Joining me today is Andrew Wallace. He's the founder of Unseen, an organisation working towards the eradication of modern slavery and human trafficking. Andrew, thank you uh, for joining me today. My glasses are a bit skewed. Hang on, just in a comedy moment there. Um, Sadly, there's nothing very funny about what we're going to talk about today. Um, Look, if you ask most people, um, and, and possibly myself a good 15 years ago, um, if you ask them, does slavery exist? When was it abolished? People would say, they'd quote some date in the 1800s or maybe the 1900s. Uh, answer me one question. Why are there more slaves in the world today than there were at the height of the slave trade? And, and that's shocking, isn't it? But just that sentence in itself is shocking because I mean like you we're probably about the same age we grew up we went to school we learned about William Wilberforce the end of the transatlantic slave trade um, and yet here we are with at least and, and it is a very conservative at least 40.3 million people held in situations of slavery around the world and, and that figure is a, an informed guesstimate. I was going to say that to you I mean how can anybody possibly know the true figure? That you can't because what you're trying to quantify is individuals that are held in situations of exploitation and it's it's a hidden crime so what we'll never it, the issue isn't the number it's it's a big big number no, nobody's disputing that and i think we get ourselves hung up on what is precisely the number it's at least 40 million that that in, in itself is shocking but actually it's why is it being allowed to come back to, to your question you know we grew up thinking we, we dealt with slavery, but actually, you know, in the last 40 years, as globalization has taken place, we've become aware of millions and millions of people held in situations of slavery, and we've allowed it to come back on, on, on our watch. And so that, that's the shocker, that's the kicker in, in terms of how, how has that happened? Numbers, as you say, are numbers. The fact is how and why, why have we allowed it to come back? So we need to understand what modern slavery is. And so I define it like this. It's it's an illicit trade, first and foremost. 
it's a commodity trade. The commodity just happens to be a human being and therefore sold and exploited in order that their exploiters can make vast profits. And the estimates around the profits are, and this figure is 10 years out of date, Ross, it's at least $150 billion profit per annum. And we could probably double that and triple that and it would still hold true. But put that into context, that out, you know, makes Apple, Amazon, you know, these big titans of industry, their profits are nowhere near that. So it's this huge profit. The commodity is this human being that's bought, sold and exploited. The exploiters know there's very little chance that they'll ever get caught. And for, unfortunately for the victims, there's very little chance that they will be able to exit that exploitation and even worse, find justice. Well, on that note, um, you know, trafficking plays a, a major part of, of, um, of modern slavery. Um, can you define basically the elements that are involved in that? And I'd go, you know, the recruiting, the transportation, the means, force, fraud, coercion, deception, and the purpose, which is obviously exploitation of a, of a human being. What exploiters do is that they prey on vulnerable people. And vulnerability could be, here you are in, in a country, your opportunities are grinding poverty, grinding poverty, grinding poverty, and someone comes along and says, I can get you a job yeah, in the UK or in the West or whatever, and you can earn this much. And you think, blimey, that's a king's ransom. With that, I could afford to pay my family and everything else. It doesn't matter whether you've heard about trafficking or not, because then human nature kicks and you think, I'm not going to be the one that gets caught up in this. And so exploiters are really good at preying on that vulnerability. So you, you say, okay, yes, I'll go. They then say, I'll sort out the transportation. I'll get you there, get your papers and everything else. And they are spinning the net in terms of ensnaring that person. They will probably legitimately come into the country. You know, we know from our stats, the vast majority of foreign nationals that get caught up in trafficking in the UK came into the country legally. You know, they had the visa, their passport and everything else. They didn't know that they were stepping into the trap. And that's a myth again, isn't it? If you speak to many people who live here in the UK, for instance, and that's probably true of other, you know, what I would call Northern European countries, maybe North America, when they think about people coming into this country who are victims of slavery, their countries as victims of slavery, they would say they come in illegally, but that's not the case. No. The, the, at least 80 if not 85 percent of of the victims that are found when we look back at their journey they came into the country through legitimate means so via airplane um on a coach um on a bus on the eurostar yeah they're coming they think you know it, that i've either got this job and everything else or sometimes what we call the lover boy syndrome you know that they've been swept off their feet then they say why don't we travel to the uk and again, they just don't realize the trap is going to be sprung. Honey trap. The, the vast majority come in legitimately and then, the, then it's sprung. I'll, I'll take your papers and everything else. Now you're going to be forced into sexual exploitation or you're going to be put into a cannabis factory or you're going to be put in, inserted into a legit, legitimate workplace, but I'll take control of your bank account. You'll be in tight accommodation. I'll, I'll have complete control over you. And, and that's, it's about control, isn't it? A lot of it's about control. A lot about, as you say, it's about playing on people who are vulnerable or making promises to people who um, are unaware 
of, of exactly where they're going, what they're getting themselves into. And it can be, uh, there are many forms, aren't there? Just, just run down some of the kind of areas where, where people in this country, for instance, are forced into what we would call modern slavery. So the, the main areas are um, obviously sexual exploitation, so sold in, in, into the sex trade. Um, now, some will come knowing that they're, they're entering into the sex trade, but then they don't realize that they're not going to get any of their earnings or they're asked to do things that they didn't want to do. Others are brutally forced into it. And I, I've you know, talked with horrific, um, I've encountered horrific stories, and as I'm sure you have as well, of you know, just the brutality of, of somebody. Uh, and, and the traffickers talk about breaking people, you know, you know, talk about breaking horses. This is breaking people in, in, into sexual exploitation. Then there's forced labor. So that's being forced to work um, against your will and, and not being able to leave that situation without fear of violence and retribution, often paid nothing or an, an, an absolute pittance. Um, criminal exploitation, that could be cannabis cultivation, that could be um, ATM snatches, it could be benefit fraud, could be shoplifting. I mean, you know, the list just goes on. All those things, street banking being a, a big one. You know, as, 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 you, you, as we discussed before we, we started recording, you know, I've, I've seen nearly all of those things. I've also seen witchcraft used um, as, as a hold over someone. And that is incredibly powerful uh, for lots of people, not just uh, people from Africa, but people from, from South America as well. But the, the main thing about it is, is it's about fear, intimidation, and ultimately control over somebody who's vulnerable. So they may not have physical shackles on their hands, on their, on their ankles, but effectively they are completely controlled and owned by another human being, and that's slavery. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I've met survivors who, in, in telling me their stories, uh, you know we've all got one of these haven't we a mobile phone and they they're shown a picture and it's of their family back home or their child back home and they go notice the date when that photo was taken you know if you step out loud and you try and leave that then your family will get it and, and we've had survivors in our services and their families have been targeted you know when they when they've exited you know from from the exploitation so you're right that the physical shackles that 200 years ago that we associated with the transatlantic slave trade, they've gone, it's psychological shackles. And when you get someone into a place of, of complete control, you, you have complete control. You, you don't need to shackle them. They're not gonna speak up. They're not gonna ask for help. They're not gonna flee that situation. Um, and they only do that when they reach that absolute sort of, almost sort of breaking point and the, there's no other options and way, and way out for them. So exploiters are really smart at controlling people. Yeah, and, and breaking that is something that the Unseen attempts to do, isn't it? Can you just explain to me what your charity does? Yeah, um, so we do five main things as a charity. So we work with victims that are found within the United Kingdom and we provide accommodation and support services. And we're part of what's called the government's National Referral Mechanism Programme. So that's everything from accommodation to support to outreach and then reintegration and support back into, into society. We then work with all the major blue light agencies in terms of training and uh, sharing intelligence and uh, awareness raising for them, helping them be much more victim focused and, and aware of what they're, they're being faced with. Um, you know, especially around, you know, walk into a cannabis factory and you, and you find a gardener. Is that person a victim or, or is that a criminal? I've done that, by the way. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but just imagine the scenario of where you're locked into a house and the fumes of the cannabis factory and you, and you can't get out. Well, I, I can remember the specifics, if you want me, just very quickly to come in. You know, um, the house isn't stealing from the national grid, not only to use to make the hydroponics work, but also to defend the house. So door handles are electrified both in and out. So effectively, it stops other people coming in and taking down criminals stealing the, the cannabis. It also uh, stops the gardener from leaving. And what I can remember when eventually the electricity was taken away from the house and the police entered was that this young Vietnamese boy, which they often are, often are, um, he, his only English was, I am 15, which meant he'd been taught that so that he wouldn't face a custodial sentence. He had um, two bags of rice, um, a large box of what I would call chicken stock and some vegetables. And that was it for him for a month. So he was only uh, replenished or, or, or fed once a month and, you know, severely beaten if any of those plants um, got sick. Um, and he'd been promised uh, by the traffickers way back in Vietnam that he was going to be working, um, you know, as an assistant chef in a restaurant in Paris. And he ended up in a three-story building um, in Greenwich. Yeah, and, and, and that's a classic archetype, you know, that you've just described. That, and, and part of, you know, when I say we work with survivors, we work with those individuals that have come out of that situation. So all the complexity, you know, we, we talk about complex trauma cases, you know, that, that's our bread and butter in terms of, of, of what we deal with. One of the things that, that I often have heard, whether it be people I've spoken to in the UK who were brave enough to talk to us, um, who were victims of, of trafficking and modern slavery. Now, I remember a young lad from India who was working in an Indian restaurant. He was fed with food. He would never received. Part of keeping him trapped was to give him no access to any finance. Um, but he, had a, he did have a phone, a small old Nokia, and he used that to take pictures to send home. And he put pictures of himself next to a Mercedes car or next to a house because the shame that he felt um, and the hopes that had been pinned on him by family members was overwhelming. And you know, even though he wasn't managing to send money back, or if he was only very little and he was doing it through the traffickers, um, just for his self-esteem, he had to pretend that he was living this golden life. when in fact, he was a slave working, you know, cleaning the floors of, of an Indian restaurant. Uh, and, and that is so true. And in terms of and this is back to the control and, and the, 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 the psychology that, that exploiters use. So, you know, and especially in a, in a Southern Asian or East Asian context, and even in an African context as well, this, the, the notion of family and supporting the family is, is so important. So the shame can be the thing that holds people. Therein lies another thing. There's two things. One, um, it's often hiding in plain sight for many of us. We either don't notice it, or we choose not to notice it. Is that true? So Ross, um, personal question, awkward question, but how many slaves work for you? Through, only from my, my traveling around the world, I would say indirectly a few, I wouldn't know. What are the numbers? So you're wearing clothes, Yeah. Thankfully. You, you've eaten food today. Yes. And, and we're using consumer electronics to talk to each other in, in lockdown. Yeah. So we're already up to 40 to 60. So just in terms of eating food, wearing clothes and communicating, we're at how many did you say? 40 to 60. Human beings who are slaves. Furnishing your lifestyle.
and that's and that's without you say the ones that are often in in plain sight like the car washes like like the drivers delivery drivers etc yeah yeah and and if if that doesn't grab people and go you know i didn't realize the world was like this then i don't know what will but it, it's a manipulation isn't it people in search of profits and also many people are look, migration isn't a new phenomena is it no no not at all human beings migrated to find better pastures to to find gold to find whatever they they thought would make their lifestyles or their families' lifestyles better it's not a new phenomena it's the phenomena where people make profits from it and also slave trading is not a new phenomena is it no i mean the, the slave trade you know we started this conversation with you know we all thought the slave trade had ended the slave trade ne never ended um, it is always about exploiting human beings to make money. You know, the, the modern slavery is about making money and it is about buying and selling um, and controlling a, a human commodity. And th the impact on a human being of being knowing that they're a commodity, the, the psychological impact is, is enormous. But actually the, the profits that are taking place and then as that ripples out, which is none of us can say we've got clean hands. Yet We're, we're all tainted by this. And if you say what's driving, and I call modern slavery an illicit trade, what is driving this trade? Unfortunately, it's our learned addiction to cheap goods and cheap services and cheap labor. You know, we all want a bargain, but there's a price, if you like, there's a floor price, which you, if you go through, means that people are going to get exploited. I, I think, you know, if you'd spoken to me 15 years ago, I, I probably... I would have gone, okay, yeah, but I'll just move on. But having seen it firsthand, whether it's been in Central and South America, people desperately trying to get into the United States of America, whether it was in Calais, in the jungle, whether it was in, I mean, uh, never more apparent than when I was in, in Libya, you know, seeing people come across that desert from Sub-Saharan Africa, across that desert, if you fall off the side of that four by four, you're left. Every girl, woman that I spoke to, had either been raped once or more than once. Uh, many of them had tried to take birth control pills in our country before they left. And also, even on the trip across Libya, before they got to risk their lives traveling across the Mediterranean, um, many of them were held for a number of years, just as either sexual slaves or, or, or slaves of manual labor or, or held in servitude. Um, and, and I don't think unless you've seen that first hand, it's very difficult to understand why somebody would leave one place to get to another. And isn't it really important that we start looking at addressing the issues in the countries of origin? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What we've done for the last 10 or 15 years is focus on, and there are some rights in it, but we've built more and more a, a sophisticated safety net for after the exploitation has taken place. What I'm interested in is how do we turn the tap off? How do we address the issues? So like just those stories that, that you've told, I mean, you know, we could spend the rest of this just exchanging sto horror stories ar around that, but I don't want to sort of create that almost sort of compassion fatigue or people just switch off because it's just too horrible. And, um, but what is it that compels someone to take that level of risk? You know, to, to cross the Sahara, knowing if I fall off, I'm dead. 
and people do on a regular basis. It's yeah, and they do. And, and these stories get back. You know, so it's not as if people are going completely blind. They know the risks. They know what happens and, and everything else. What's driving it is there are no options for them or conflict has come or climate change has, is rapidly changing things. So th there's massive issues at play here. But, but it's economic. I don't want to start naming certain areas of the world, but you know where you see, you go in and you see such a disparity between the haves and the have-nots, and the great far majority have not. When they when it's plastered in front of them through the mobile phones, you know, uh, online, you know that there is uh, there's a Shangri-La out there, and you've only got to get there, and you know the streets are you know it's not a new phenomenon. The streets are paved with gold that's such a draw isn't it that's such a draw for a human being and also all human beings do this it won't be me it'll be someone else i'll be the one that will be all right but i think you know the, the economic thing is even wider than that as well so what's happened and i'm kind of poacher term gamekeeper or i'm a gamekeeper term poacher i used to work in retail um so I, I kind of know how these things work but what's happened in the last 40 years is is rampant globalization and we have a business model which is about extracting as much profit from the equation as we can in order that you know the business can can thrive that shareholders and investors are kept happy and and what the what businesses will tell you and consumers are demanding cheap goods but but i know that consumers were educated around cheap goods but um there's been some research done which was around okay what if you did the right thing because actually it's not wrong that businesses are located around the world. What's wrong is where that results in, in forced labor exploitation um, and or um, living wages not being paid. So what if, what if we did the right thing? What if all the way down the supply chain, we ensured the principles of decent work were, were applied and we paid a contextualized living wage all the way down the supply chain? What this research showed was the cost for the price to save a pair of jeans would increase by between 23 and 50 cents. So 20 and 40p, nothing. You pay a living wage and it's often to women and girls in those factories means that that mum can support her family. It means that those kids can stay in education that immediately reduces the vulnerability. It increases the economic benefits in that country and if you reduce the vulnerability, it's much harder to traffic. And so actually, we've got to say, you know, what kind of world do we want to live in? Do, do I want to consume products, which means others are exploited? Or do I want to consume products where others also are having that opportunity for economic uplift? Otherwise, people go, well, I've got grinding poverty, grinding poverty, or a really crap job over there. I might as well go and chase the, the streets of gold because I'll be the one that makes it. I'll be, I'll be the next Dick Whittington. Yeah, exactly that. And, and 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 how do you go about changing that though? How do you go about 23 cents? Uh, if it's a million 23 cents, I guess it adds up or a billion 23 cents, it adds up. But how do you go about implementing change in those countries? How do you convince the powers that be in those countries that they and the companies um, that they should 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 think again? So it's a combination of things. So I can talk about what what we've done um, already in this country. So I chaired a report that ultimately led to what was, is now known as the Modern Slavery Act. So we presented the government with, here's the evidence of, of what is happening in the UK. 
um, and created the environment for then the government to, to bring around that. And then on scene, my charity, we led on the campaign for what was that is now known as Section 54 of the Modern Slavery Act, which is called Transparency and Supply Chains, which was companies had to tell us, the consumers and investors and everybody else, what they were doing to tackle modern slavery. So if you were a company and you did more than 36 million uh, sales worldwide and you had a footprint in the UK, you had to say, this is what we're doing to tackle modern slavery around that. There was a clause within the legislation that said, if you don't produce this statement, then the government can take you to court and force you to produce a statement. So, you know, transparency. Five, the Modern Slavery Act was five years ago. There's still 3,700 companies plus that have never produced a statement. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. What effect, firstly, has, has COVID had on trafficking in the UK and, and modern slavery? In some respect, it's, it's difficult to know because it's driven it underground. So those car washes aren't open, those nail bars aren't open. Um, yes, some of those construction sites are still going in, in that whole process, yet logistics distribution, we've talked about it. So a lot of what we talked about in terms of hidden in plain sight is now really hidden. The question we've got is, well, where have all those people in the car wash gone? Yeah. Because if, if you're an exploiter, you're not paying them <laughs> a subsistence or um you know and if you're uh, an illegal business you can't apply for the furlough scheme etc i'm 100 percent sure they've just been exploited elsewhere we just haven't found them yet but well, what do you think they can be doing where can they be they'll they will be inserted often into legitimate businesses so it could be logistics could be distribution it could be the agricultural sector you know they yeah these exploiters are, are really smart, super savvy. They will find a way to insert it because they just want their commodity to, to turn a profit for them. And that's how they perceive human beings as a commodity, right? Yeah, no, they don't, they don't perceive them as a human being. You're just a commodity. I mean, I've met people who have been exploited during the day in forced labor, and then at night are exploited in sexual exploitation. So it is almost a 24-7 exploitation. I can remember talking to a a trafficker of, of young girls in a prison in Romania who'd been caught. Um, and he was laughing about referring to the girls as football because we just kicked a football because we just kicked them from one guy to another. Yeah. 
Yeah. The, so that they they have completely lost touch with their humanity, and and it, it it's that's if you like that's the ultimate outworking of greed is that you just see another human being as a cash cow. And so actually, why wouldn't you maximize the return on that? You know, we often see with um, girls that have been uh, that have left sexual exploitation. It's not that they're found on a police raid into a brothel um, or a welfare visit from an NGO. They either reach that point where they flee, they run for their lives, um, or they're just kicked out by their trafficker because they're no longer economically viable. You know, they, they've, they've caught um, an STI and they don't want to run the risk of taking them to a, a health clinic to, to deal with that, or, you know, the, their body is battered and bruised, <coughs> or the drugs are no longer controlling them. It, it, is the very worst of, of humanity that we encounter. Do you, do you foresee the day when um, human trafficking will overtake drug trafficking in terms of profitability? I think it already has. I think it's more profitable. And, and I mean, 10 years ago, we estimated the profits were, um, not we, the, the ILO estimated the profits were about $150 billion per annum. Mm. It's double, triple that. And, and here's why human trafficking is so much more lucrative than drugs. Drugs is a one-hit wonder. You use it once and it's gone. The, the, you know, the, the focus on it, the, the quotes war on drugs, which is a rip-roaring success, um, you might as well get into human beings. They're far, far more compliant, less risky. You can bring them into a country legitimately. You can move them, you know, and it's repeat business. It's not just... Um, criminal gangs that enter into, uh, you know, into, into human slavery, human, you know, or enter or, you know, can control human beings in that way. Um, can you tell me what's happening in Wago? Is it Wago? Well, it's the Uyghur people in China, and we're probably both saying it wrong, but um, people will forgive us. But it, it, what it is, is um, in Xinjiang province, the, the Uyghur minority, the Muslim minority, um, are experiencing genocide. And I think that's what's brought the world's attention is just the forced labor camps, um, just the, the horrific human rights abuses that are taking place there. But what we say is, but actually those, those Uyghur population are being distributed all over China into the factories, forced labor, which are making the goods. And, and China is one of the world's greatest manufacturers now, goods that then go across the world. So. Again, we're all personally touched by the, this issue, and we've had, you know, impassioned words from our government saying this is wrong. My response is great. Words are great, but I we now need to take steps. We we need to stop those goods coming in. We need to call China to account because this is state-sponsored genocide and it's state-sponsored forced labor exploitation. But how do you define which goods are actually tainted and which ones are? Uh, it, it's super, super difficult, but, you know, we do, the, the brands know, the brands know, you know, we know the brands that are in Xinjiang province anyway, we, we know that Uyghurs are, are all over China in these factories, audits can reveal that, and, you know, we, we need to be exiting, you know, back, back to, is it an economic issue? Yes, it is, so, how, you know, how do we gain leverage on this issue? We'll change the, change the economics. We're not going to source from you. We're not going to buy your products until you address these issues. How do we change that mindset? I think part of it is where it's, you know, for a lot of people listening to this, this will be all new to them. And so, and so I hope they're in the, 
shocked phase and then it's okay that so now what do i need to do and and you know for the general population some of it is being eyes and ears and speaking up and you know doing the very unbritish thing of saying you know speaking up when you see something that you don't think is right and often it's it's a gut thing or that that house next door to me where you know men are coming and going at all all hours you know what's going on in there or in the workplace somebody has you know what did you do at the weekend and and there's they didn't do anything at the weekend now i know in lockdown none of us doing anything at the weekend i know what you're saying in, in all of that or you know that cannabis factory that's you know on the street and why why the curtains always closed or that they're, they're blacked out in, in that whole process or the car wash where you can only pay one person and they only take cash or the nail bar where there's somebody in the corner or there's a cctv camera up in the corner and watching it and when you interact with the people they don't want to interact with or the physical appearances and the psychological um appearances of abuse you know they look malnourished and unkept they're not wearing the appropriate clothing for the job that they're doing they're they're withdrawn they're neglected they have untreated injuries. They're, they're isolated. They're, you know, what about those houses of, of multiple, multiple occupancy and, and the poor living conditions? You know, what's going on there? Or there's restricted freedom of movement. They're always in, always with that other person. Let's go back to, to, um, to COVID. You think it's had an effect on the people um, that, have, that are, are already here, that are in human bondage, yeah? What about um, people travelling into the UK? Obviously, if our borders are closed, then it's closed to all, including traffickers. Um, the other thing is, what do you think Brexit will, will play, if anything, in terms of... Uh, um, I, I, I have to say, you have to stifle that giggle when I say that, but or, or smirk, or whatever it was. You know, and I'm probably of the same feeling. Do you think Brexit, as, as many people... Um, believed uh, would it would have an effect on migration into the UK? Will it have any effect on trafficking in terms of of, of human slavery? Gosh, you've opened up Pandora's box. Um, th th there's so many. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's so many things in there to say. I think the first thing I'd start with is actually if if we look at the what we do know in terms of the number of victims in the UK. So the Home Office say, at any, and this is from 2014, at any one time, 10 to 13,000, that's out by a factor of 10. So it's at least 100,000 plus. So let's be clear, sorry, Andrew, there's 100,000 plus slaves in the UK. Yeah. Now, when we start breaking that down by nationality, when it's adults, about three, number three or number four in terms of prevalence are UK nationals. And when it's children, the number one nationality is UK nationals. So it is a problem. Last year, we saw something like 102 different nationalities. You know, it'll be one from here, one from there. But in terms of like the top 10, in terms of prevalence, adult UK nationals, number three, number four, kids, number one. So men in situations of forced labor, we know of examples where the, the homeless are targeted, uh, those with mental health issues are targeted, those in terms of vulnerability um, and my fear around COVID and Brexit is the increased vulnerability so closed borders means actually more UK nationals will get targeted 
um, and then Brexit making it harder, you know, the, the ending of movement of free trade, we will still need workforce to come in for many sectors of our businesses um, and public sector as well. And so the opportunity for exploitation will increase, especially as nobody now has the right to remain in this country as well. So if I'm a trafficker, I'm going, oh, happy days, because I've now got another tool in my armory to control someone saying, if you step out of line, I'll just report you to immigration enforcement, you'll be arrested, you'll get a criminal record, and you go back to your country with a criminal record, it's not going to go well for you, therefore, yeah, in all of that process. In terms of kids, um, the phenomenon that I think the media have called county lines, but it's child criminal exploitation, kids being used to move drugs around the country and sell drugs, uh, you know, to both yeah, whether it's street users or middle class users of cocaine at the weekend and all of that, but it's kids that are being exploited. They're often being targeted because they're vulnerable. Um, lockdown has increased that vulnerability. Um, we are hearing stories of kids being dressed up to look like key workers to avoid detection as they move them around the country. Uh, again, the psychological control of those kids, the threats against their families. Um, but we've also got examples and stories now, you know, of nice middle class kids also being targeted by this. And they get sucked into uh, these criminal gangs. They're then exploited, um, and it's either you know it's either that you know with kids they go through that phase where they they want that acceptance. The gangs prey on that. They entrap them. They smother them with you know with with kindness and goods. And then the trap is sprung. You now owe us. You have to do this, um, or you know they they want to be in that gang culture because it gives them identity, and and they prey on that. So all of that contributes to the, the, the UK nationals that have been targeted. Well, let's be clear again, these are British nationals. These are British nationals. And then they're, they're forced to work in, in manual labor, you know, and everything from paving to construction to working in the fields, the, the list goes on. So you'd say that the lockdown or COVID and then Brexit on top is only gonna to add to those numbers? Yeah. And, and it's also going to make it harder for the survivors as well, because up until Brexit, if you were an EEA national, so European Economic Area, so the EU and then Switzerland, Norway, et cetera, if, if you, you had got caught up in exploitation, once you left the NRM, you were still free to stay in this country if you, if you wanted to. Um, many didn't want to because the UK hadn't been great experience for them. But you could, um, you know, because as an EU national, you could access the support that everyone could. Now we're in the situation that nobody will be able to um, default to being able to stay in this country. So that vulnerability that you talked about in terms of if I go back, and it's not safe for people to go back. And, and you know, um, there's Lord McCall um, in the House of Lords that's trying to bring forward a bill to say, for all victims, let's give them at least a year's leave to remain in the, in the country so that we, you know, we've got time to work with them and work out what you know, what are the steps that they need to do so that they can be resilient going forward? Because th these are broken people. Um, do you think that the laws in this country, even the law that you helped institute, do you think they go far enough? And are the people that deal in the misery, which is trafficking and slavery, uh, when, they are, when they are caught, are they punished effectively or dissuaded effectively? I always start with legislation is a really clumsy tool. And I think legislation can frame how a country then re responds to uh, the, the, the situation. But, but then there's a number of things. If you've got legislation, apply it. So uh, what I said about companies, companies not 
applying a modern slavery statement. Well, then force them to it. You know, you've got the sanction, use it. Within the Modern Slavery Act, uh, the one thing I would say is what it has codified is the seriousness of the crime. So actually the punish, the, the maximum tariff for committing an offence under the Modern Slavery Act is life. Mm. I've not yet seen a life term given to a trafficker that's gone through the courts. So there's questions there for judiciary, which is, look, the tariff is this, the government is saying through this legislation, this is a really serious crime. Six years for the misery that you've dealt mm. in that whole process. And I've lost count of the number of times I've written to the, the Justice Department going, can I question that sentence in that whole process? Because for me, I, I find it repugnant that, you know, if, we, if we're saying as a country, we find this morally repugnant and we're going to set this tariff, then let's use that tariff because it does have a deterrent effect in, in that whole process. The, the Modern Slavery Act, um, it needs to go further. We need to enshrine the rights of people uh, that victims have to support. Um, you know, it's, it's alluded to, but it need, I would argue it needs to be on the statute books. And then legislation needs to evolve as we understand how modern slavery happens. And the government has said recently, it's gonna look again at the transparency and supply chain legislation and toughen it up. And I go, great, but you've had five years to, you know, there, there was a baseball bat that you could have used in the legislation you've chosen not to use it. So what, why do I think just saying you'll find companies and you'll do this and you'll do this, um, why do I think anything's gonna change? So if you're gonna legislate, use the legislation that you've got. Around the world, globally, slavery is outlawed in every single country and yet it still thrives. And it thrives primarily in forced labor. So the other part of the equation is actually what do we need to legislate more around what businesses do? Um, and there's a move at European level around what's called mandatory human rights due diligence reporting. And so companies will be responsible for what's happening in their supply chains. So I would definitely support that. So I, a company operating in France will be responsible for what's happening in Mauritania. Yeah, yeah. Which was, I, I looked on the internet, the last country to abolish slavery in something like 2015 which effectively, like so many other countries, I'm not necessarily singling out Mauritania, but um, India, for instance, a country that I spent a bit of time in looking at, uh, at sexual trafficking, a country of, I think, 1.3 billion people. It's estimated that nearly, you know, 10 million people work in the sex trade there. Yeah. And most of them are not working for a profit. They are victims of, of trafficking, of human slavery, of human bondage. Um, the other thing I saw, I found out when I was there was about indebted labor, something, and again, I'm not, I'm not out to, to hit India here because it happens in other countries, but the idea that you can be born into debt, effectively born into slavery, that yeah. there isn't much difference in, 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 in when you talk about indebted labor. So your father took out a loan of a very small amount, let's call it 10 rupees, um, or your great, 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 great grandfather in many cases. Um, and as a consequence, you were born basically a slave and you will work to pay off that debt. And so were your children and your children's children. Isn't it time that we looked at what's happening culturally in certain countries and question whether in this day and age, living like that should be permitted? Um, the, the quick answer is of course it shouldn't go on. I mean, <laughs> we're in the 21st century. And I think this is the disconnect. You, you can have all the laws you like around the world, 
and India's got some pretty good um, anti-human trafficking legislation, but it's the, the application of those laws and it's the systems and the structures that allow that to happen. So if you say, okay, we, we will ban bonded labor. We will, you know, we will get rid of all of that, that debt. Those people will go free. Great, but you've actually then got to do it. And then you've got to employ those people. If you take away their jobs or something for them to do, you've got to find something else for them to do, I guess. Yeah, or, or you wipe the debt clean and then they're earning and, and that, that can support them. But, but then we're almost back to you know, the, the transatlantic slave trade, which is the government has only recently paid off the debt it, it paid to slave masters in this country when we set the slaves free, especially in the, in the, the West Indies. Start again, say that again to me, please. Anna. So we have only as a country recently finished paying the debt, the government debt, the, the government of the day when the slave trade uh, was being abolished, the government decided that the way to do it was they would recompense the slave owners in order for those slaves to go free. And we've only just finished paying down that debt. And who has that money been paid to out of interest? Well, back in 1800s? Yeah. To the slave owners. We paid the slave owners to, to set their slaves free. And the money that we borrowed to pay that debt off, we've only just paid it off to the banks. Yeah. Yeah. That's jaw-dropping um look it's such a massive subject and you know unseen uh, how many unseens are there out there how many do we need what else can we do what can we do i think um a, a, a number of things I, I think if you see something I, mean, I learn what the signs are you know go to our website look at spot the signs if you've got a phone Go to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store, download the Unseen app. It's got all the indicators on it and you can report straight into the helpline if, if you see things. I think the first thing is awareness. Um, I then I think the second thing is, and you know, we started with, with Wilberforce. It, here's my little bit of controversy. Actually, what ended the slave trade was the general population going, I'm not going to buy sugar anymore. And that brought the, the sugar barons, who were the slave owners, to their knees. And, and it, they went, okay, we're going to have to do something about it. And then you had legislation and, and all of that process. So ask questions of who made my clothes, who found my food, you know, what, what, what's made up in this mobile phone, you know, how many slaves have I got in, in, in all of that? And politely ask those companies to do more. But write to your MP saying, you know, this issue hasn't gone away, we need to do more. We need to support victims well. We, we need to address the, the systemic issues. We, we need businesses engaged on this. Um, write to your pension fund and say, I don't want my money invested in companies that, are in, you know, that aren't complying with the legislation and aren't actively looking to, to um, end this trade. Support charity, you know, unseen, other, there's other great charities out there as well. Support those charities. You know, we've just gone through COVID and, you know, dealing with, the, the massive drop in, in support for charities. And yet we're, we're having to step up and, and deliver services through the whole COVID thing. Um, tell your friends, you know, share this podcast far and wide, because I think the more that people are aware, we build that environment where people go, I, I don't want to live in this world. You know, I, I, I want to call people to live in a world that's better than where we currently are, where we're not exploiting people, where we, we value each other's humanity, regardless of the color of our skin or our nationality. 
know, we share one planet and, and we, we need to support each other. And then we need to be aware that we need to keep pressures on government around climate and the economy and everything else. You know, we've seen that hashtag build back better. Well, do we really mean it? Or are we just going to build back to something slightly different to what we had before COVID? Andrew, just before we finish, um, someone listening to this needs help or, or feels they've got nowhere to go, feels that they are a victim, knows they are a victim. What should they do? Um, call us on the Modern Slavery Helpline on 08000 121 700. It's 24 seven, it's confidential. There's trained advisors. They will give you the help and support and they will connect you with the help and support that you need. Likewise, if you suspect something's going on that's not right, call the helpline. Can you give me the number again, please? Yeah, it's 08000 121 700. Andrew, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Ross. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Kempcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Kemp and on Instagram at Ross Kemp TV. This has been a Freshwater and the Chancer Collective production. And until the next episode, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.